This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at DownloadGoWild.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What is up, everybody? If you are listening to this podcast, the day that it launches, we are only four days away from October 1st. Four days. And I hope you guys are excited. Like, it's all, it's here. You know, we've been talking about it. We've been leading up to it. We've been talking about prep and this and that and early season, late season, all that stuff. It's here. It's finally here. Opening weekend is here. And so I hope you guys are ready. Hope you are prepared. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I will actually not be hunting uh, this weekend. I have a wedding up in Idaho, one of my old college buddies, um, but I'm very excited to go up there and see all my old buddies. Going to take a fishing pole, going to do some fishing while I'm up there. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good consolation prize. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking back before I hit record, uh, I, I one time on opening weekend, I had like a nice three-year-old come out that I could have shot, ended up passing him. Uh, he ended up getting shot by the neighbors two years later, but anyway, that's like the closest I've ever come to, you know, filling a tag opening weekend. Um, and so that's why I'm like not super sad I'm missing it. I would love to be out there, obviously, you know, just be out there to be out there. But, uh, as far as like strategically picking my weekends to hunt or not hunt, I'm really okay missing that first weekend. Uh, just not a lot of success in the past, but I do want to throw out there to all you listeners if somebody out there has some success opening weekend, please, please send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and let me know. And I would love to have you on the podcast and to tell everybody how you did it. Because like I said, that's something that I've never been able to accomplish. So I would love to hear from somebody who did. So, so yeah, that's what's coming up uh, this coming weekend as I'm recording this, which would have just happened as y'all are listening to this. Uh, I am finally going dove hunting. Wasn't sure I was going to get to go. Well, I kept having to kind of switch. Well, it wasn't me. My buddy who I'm going with kept having to switch some dates around and stuff. Um, but we finally got it worked out to go this weekend. And so I'm going to go do some dove hunting. And then next weekend, I'll be at an Idaho wedding. And then the weekend after that, it is hunting time. And I will be hitting it pretty hard for several weeks in a row. So very excited about that. I hope you guys are too. Uh, the last couple weeks, I've had... Pretty long intros, but this week I'm going to cut it real short because we have a awesome podcast, and it turned out even better than I expected, honestly. So we are doing part two of the Robinson Wildlife Program. Uh, we had the pond lady on, uh, aka Amy, a few weeks ago. This week we're talking to her hummy, or her husband Jared, and uh, you know when we talk, when we first started talking to him, you know he said he was a biologist, you know did some consulting type stuff, and so. 
the questions I had in my head were going to be around, you know, timber stand improvement, burning, you know, that type of kind of your stereotypical like habitat management stuff. But as I got to know them and was talking to them, I found out that Jared actually did his master's work down in southeastern Oklahoma at Red Slough on alligators. And <laughs> growing up along the Red River, like alligators is something I've always been infatuated with in Oklahoma because. You know, for a while to me, they were kind of like mountain lions, like, you know, all everybody said they seen one, but nobody had any proof. You had some fuzzy pictures and stuff. Um, but, you know, I had to eat a little crow because one day I saw one myself. I was on some Oklahoma public land. I think I've told that story before. Um, I was doing some deer scouting actually in the summer. I was walking out, saw an alligator. And so to me, it's like, oh, well, like maybe all these people that I thought were crazy back in the day are not crazy and they're telling the truth. And uh, even some, you know, fishing guides and stuff that I've had on the podcast have talked about alligators, you know, as far west as Texoma. And so we talk about all that. He covers his research. He covers, you know, population. Can they survive in Oklahoma? Where can they survive in Oklahoma? All that good stuff. We cover it all. And so we have a very long conversation. And so that's why I'm going to keep this one pretty darn short. And so I think that's really all I have, honestly. I hope you guys are ready to hunt. I hope you guys are ready to ready to learn about alligators because we have a fantastic uh, podcast here with Jared Robison of Robison Wildlife Solutions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. And today I have Jared Robison on the phone. How are you, Jared? Hey, good good to be here. Uh, glad you invited me. Oh, man, I am so excited about this. You don't even know. So <laughs> I think our listeners are going to love this one. I'm really excited about it, and so I'm, I'm ready for sure. So, so, uh, that's Gator Talk. <laughs> that is, that's right. So, uh, w- yeah, we'll, t- we'll tell everybody why we're so excited in just a second. But before we really, you know, get into it, why don't you just tell everybody uh, who you are, you know, what you do, and a little bit about your company. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, my name is Jared Robison, and um, I'm biologist here in uh, Oklahoma. Um, I and I got a undergrad in zoology and a master's in conservation um, from southeastern Oklahoma State, and uh, decided to go into the whole private lands management thing. Um, and right now, we're doing um, pond and lake management for private lands. And um, yeah, it's been it's been quite the ride. Uh, trying to own and operate my own company i've earned a lot or learned a lot and uh and i'm just trying to to keep it going every day so mm-hmm. and for our listeners uh we've already heard from your wife a few weeks ago aka the pond lady um it's so uh, this is kind of part two to that and you guys are a team y'all work together um and do a lot of good right. for the state of oklahoma so we try our best. Yeah, I can't get away from each other, so we're making the best <laughs> of it. And, um, yeah, she really brings a lot more of the aquatic stuff to the, t- to the table, and uh, whereas I have a little bit more of the background with the wildlife stuff. Right, right. And, you know, when I when I reached out to you guys originally, you know, that's kind of how you talked about your company and talked about each other. And so that was kind of my plan was I'm going to let your wife do the pond stuff. And, uh, you know, I was planning to do more of like a habitat, you know, invasive mm-hmm. species type thing with you. And y'all do do that. And, you know, y'all write, uh, you were telling me before we recorded, you know, uh, fire plans and all that good stuff. But uh, just Yeah, kinda... burn plans are, are super important. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always preach preach that to people. Mm-hmm. And so, 
that's kind of what I was getting prepared for. And then just recently, as we were getting ready, you know, these last couple of days to record, I found out that you did your, was it your master's degree? Um, Correct, yeah. Uh-huh. On, on alligators in southeastern Oklahoma. And I said, forget all that other stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that do that. There's probably not too many alligator experts in this state. And so that's, yeah, that's something I'm very passionate about. I love my gators and we mm-hmm. can talk all day about it. And we're about to, we're about to. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to let you do 99% of the talking today. I'll try to direct just a little bit, but, uh, uh, man, I'm ready for you to dive head first. And so, um, awesome. you can talk about red slew. You can talk about your masters and just kind of yeah, just go so, for it. Well, all right. Well, so how I really even got involved in this whole thing anyway was we ended up down in, in Durant, USA, mm-hmm. um, where Amy, out of out of her degree at Oklahoma State, she got her master's before I did. We uh, went down to Durant. I got went back to school to get my master's, and I just so happened to be at the right place at the right time where um, the professor that I was – that was my um, – that was the, the person who was uh, over my grant. Um, he was really interested in alligators. He had done previous research with alligators, and he just happened to have on the table a. Luckily, I can't even believe it was a funded project. So <laughs> it actually, I got paid a little bit of money to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, we, he actually said, "Hey, you know, I, I've got some turtle stuff to do. I've got fish stuff to do. I've got this." alligator thing if you're interested and of course i was like yes absolutely i want to do the gator research so he had um long established a relationship with some of the um, people down at red slough wma which if you don't know is about as far south and east into oklahoma as you can get it's so far south and east into oklahoma it's almost unfair to call it oklahoma you're about a mile and a half from the red river so you're about a mile and a half from texas and and maybe six or seven miles from arkansas to the east so it is a very um there's a lot of pine tree plantations um cypress swamp you know it's definitely once you get down there, it doesn't look like the rest of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It really looks like what I would consider the real South. Um, and in fact, down there, you're actually getting Texarkana radio mm-hmm. is the dominant radio station. So that's how, how far Southeast is there. So, um, my advisor had already had a relationship down there with, and it's co-opted by, um, the, well, it's actually three groups, the, the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, U.S. Forest Service, and the ODWC. And um, so got sent down there to go ahead and, and get started on a project. And what we wanted to do is, is really look at um, specifically nesting and um, success of babies in Oklahoma because uh, the longstanding thought, I guess, was the reason why we don't have more alligators in Oklahoma was because of our cold winters mm-hmm. and that um, that, that might limit the um, survival uh, of, of young babies. So we kind of went into the research kind of with that hypothesis that, you know, if we were lucky enough to find some nests, that um, likely that the impending winter after hatching might be too severe and that might might be a problem. So um, we were uh, lucky enough. Uh, during our second year, we actually found two nests for the first time at Red Slough history. 
but um, there uh, there was one uh, wetland unit where they had discovered the very first alligator nest in Oklahoma, and every year subsequently, that same mom had been a producing nest year after year. So we knew where it was. We knew we could get out there when they hatched, count babies. That was going to be a big part of what we did. So um, part of our part of this research was not only looking at the um, nesting and survival but also just kind of general population dynamics how many alligators are there in the wetland um and 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 also looking at habitat what habitat types they prefer and um what might be if it's not um temperature and cold winters what might be the limiting factor um affecting alligator population in oklahoma so to try and um kind of boil down what we did find was um not only was uh, what was nesting successful um, on the slough, but um, babies actually had, on average, and uh, of course, we only, in two years, we got to study three nests or three groups of babies, mm-hmm. um, and published um, survival rates after, you know, two years, you know, so that first group we got to watch for, you know, pretty much two seasons, and that second group for one. You know, you're really looking at 1%, 2% survival mm-hmm. most of the time for, for alligators. They, they are, when they're first born, they can be food for largemouth bass even. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not very big, you know, maybe 40 grams, mm-hmm. you know, less than two ounces. Mm-hmm. Um, great blue herons, raccoons, possums, and um, something we even disco- discovered through a game camera was uh, feral hogs predating on a nest which was something that had been speculated on but hadn't been confirmed yet so real quick before we jump into the hogs uh what's like an average nest size like how many babies are we talking about per hatch um so generally 30 to 60 Hmm. um was what would come out um and so if you think about it if you just round it to 50 and this Hmm. is the way we we often would think about it you round it to 50 at 1% survival, that means means a mom would have to produce 100 babies to have one guaranteed to survive, you know, more towards mm-hmm. adulthood. So that means really only one successful baby every uh, every other year, really. Yeah, yeah. So it takes two years to make one. Mm. So, um, you know, that's why they, they do produce so many babies. Why would a, an animal that's so big and powerful, a predator, need to make that many babies? Well, because most of them get picked off. Mm-hmm. Um, that and also alligator babies are born, you know, around the end of August or September in Oklahoma, which means it's pretty well, it's in the late growing season. You're winding down, you know, the winter is coming. They mm-hmm. don't have a lot of time to, to get much growth before winter. Mm-hmm. So, um so uh, we looked at that nesting survival. Um, we would go out in the winter. You know, generally the most bitter cold we have in Oklahoma is going to be January, February. Um, and I remember, and, and who knows, this we got a really bitter cold this year. But um, when, when I was down there, there were a few nights, you know, that would dip into the uh, low 20s, upper teens. And what we saw was we saw the same behavior that is seen in sometimes adult alligators where these babies were allowing a thin layer of ice to freeze around their body with their snouts sticking out of the water, the tip of their of their nostrils, so they could continue to breathe almost sitting there in stasis 
kind of with water frozen around them, just barely just slowed down to the max. Sure enough, temperatures would warm up to the 30s and 40s. They'd be gone, wiggling around <laughs> and, and, and doing just fine. <laughs> so uh, interestingly enough, over the years that we did my research, we were seeing much higher than average survival rates um, as far as percentages, we were seeing five to seven percent of our babies um, from that from that first year for two years. You know, we were at just under ten percent for that first nest of of babies that made it to the second year. Mm-hmm. And sometimes babies would move away, but we were getting sometimes babies that were hanging out for two plus years around. You would see multiple year classes mixed in together. So we were actually getting really surprisingly good survival rates for our um for our babies mm-hmm. um at least through that first uh through that first winter that first year and on to the second and so um really kind of what what we ended up coming to the conclusion um was that at least at red slough in some of these areas is i don't think that necessarily the cold is a limiting factor mm-hmm. in alligator survival. I actually think a limiting factor, and it seems kind of obvious, is uh, is just lack of habitat. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a lot of ponds and some swamps, but we're certainly not Louisiana or mm-hmm. Florida or, or Mississippi. And I just think that if there was a lot more of that type of habitat, we would see a lot more alligators. And in fact, but that does also raise the question because there is a lot more usable habitat, mostly in our large lakes and reservoirs in Oklahoma. I know that there's, you know, some arms of Texoma that are pretty swampy. And in fact, you know, that's kind of a, I guess maybe it's an open secret, but there are alligators in Lake mm-hmm. Texoma. I was going to bring um, that up at some point because I've, I've talked to a couple fishing guides uh, that have either seen them or you know, know people who live on the lake. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that secret is slowly getting out, but yeah, I, I, I've heard that. Well, and it's going to become more common and I'll, and, and here's why. Number one, I think that since even the 1950s, you know, conservation has become a lot more common. We have a lot more protected land now. People, in general, are less interested in hunting than they were back in the day. I would say, you know, we're becoming a more cosmopolitan people. More people are moving to big cities. Less people in general are interested in, in a lot of the hunting and management type stuff. Um, and so at, in, in the uh, one of the consequences of that is you're starting to slowly see a comeback of some of these animals that were hunted almost to extinction, specifically, well, in Oklahoma, black bears and American alligators both come to mind as two mm-hmm. things that, you know, as conservation has taken hold, as hunting pressure has diminished, as people have become aware of, you know, that predators are important, they have slowly but surely been bouncing back. Mm-hmm. And so I think as the black bear has increased, I think so the alligator in Oklahoma will um, become more common, especially um, along that that Red River corridor and the um, the oxbows and sloughs and creeks and rivers and and lakes that are associated with it, mm-hmm. um, because it's really uh, 
if we had more wetland and, and, and the other thing too is Oklahoma really has this and we're right in the middle of the drought right now, but which, you know, is all fresh on people's minds, but we really fluctuate dramatically between wet and dry mm-hmm. more than a, a Louisiana does mm-hmm. or something like that. And, and what it does is, um, you know, you get some of these big shallow wetland units that just dry up sometimes mm-hmm. and alligators, gators, I would say the winter pressure is less on them than just not having stable habitat and not knowing that where the wetland their end is going to stay wet or are they going to have to have to move because you know people will occasionally hit alligators on the road out in you know in McCurtain County and stuff like that and it's you know why would a an eight foot gator be crossing the road it's because well, it's either mating season or, you know, where they were at, it's just, you know, is losing water is not becoming suitable habitat and they're needing to go somewhere, you know, that, that is more suitable. So um, where you can have enough water that it stays, you know, you're guaranteed to be wet year round and you're really on the at, uh, McCurtain County, mm-hmm. Choctaw County, um, uh, Bryan County, even, uh, you know, Marshall County um, and Southeast Johnston County, you know, any of those places you, you know, where <laughs> you can have alligators if, if the habitat is right. And the other thing too, that can't be, and I haven't mentioned it either is poaching or illegal killing of alligators mm-hmm. is very common down there. And, and honestly, you're very unlikely to get in trouble for shooting an alligator in Oklahoma. Un- unfortunately, I, I wish they would take it, the game wardens would take it more seriously, mm-hmm. but you know, bottom line is reptiles across the board are just not generally ever that high of a management concern mm-hmm. for people. They're just not generally they're they're not that charismatic species. They're not even as charismatic as a black bear. Most people, mm-hmm. when they see alligator, they think bad or dangerous. And and really, the way I think about them is kind of the way. The, the attitude a lot of people in Louisiana have about them is they're kind of like really big frogs with teeth. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, they're, you know, not to downplay the danger, but yeah. they're just kind of, they're, they're not uh, other than the biggest dominant gator. They're not interested in something the size of humans as a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, they're scared of you. Now I wouldn't be going swimming in a wetland during the breeding season, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, splashing around, you know, you might see a, a male come up to you and see you as a threat and want to give you the business. But for the most part, other than the absolute biggest alligators, the humans are, are well beyond the, you know, their preferred prey size. And in fact, you know, dealing with the prey, even the size of, of a large deer, you know, a fawn, you know, is, is a different story, mm-hmm. but you know, hell, hell there's so many carp in some of these lakes and, and wetlands and stuff or, or Buffalo or drum, alligator could just sit on the bottom with his mouth open and wait for something <laughs> to go in there yeah. which is you know predators tend to uh be sort of quote-unquote lazy i mean a predator mm-hmm. will always want to do the least amount of work to get prey that they can that's the name of the game so chasing down and trying to eat people is just not a very wise choice for mm-hmm. most alligators yeah so. yeah Awesome. Well, I feel like I uh, derailed us a little bit at the hog thing. I want to give you a chance to talk about that because I know that was uh, kind of a yeah. big deal. So, yeah. So that was something that um, I, I, 
I, after I was done with my uh, master's research, I wrote my thesis and I got a chance to, um, anybody who's got a master will understand. And then it's nerve wracking. You have to go present your thesis oftentimes, not only to your advisors to actually pass and graduate, but a lot of times you'll go to a professional conference or a conference of an academic conference of peers and such and present, you know, a PowerPoint or get on, get on the, on send, submit your abstract, su submit a presentation and, and do it in front of, you know, a jury of your peers, so to speak. So I get, was lucky enough to go down to uh, McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana to the annual um, IUCN CSG, the Crocodile Specialist Group meeting, which is a very prestigious meeting. I think the year after I went, it was like somewhere in Central America. Hmm. I mean, it's an international conference that's, you know, just happened to be in the U.S. and just happened to be fairly close that year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's full of, of crocodilian specialists. So people who do research on everything from, um, you know, the from Siamese crocodiles to Chinese alligators to American alligators to all, you know, the, I think there's 23 species of crocodilian worldwide. So it was just a community of those people. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I was actually there, I, I was lucky enough to um, get to present some of the pictures that I had. I, I just really, really lucked out with some of the game camera pictures that I got. Um, one of the sequences which I uh, talked about earlier was the uh, was the feral hogs predating on the nest, um, which was something that um, the uh, people in uh, I was approached actually from from people who worked for the state of Louisiana um, for their uh, that were biologists for their uh, state wildlife uh, division who worked with alligators and they were actually in the process of trying to quantify impact of feral hogs on alligator nests in Louisiana because they had heard a lot of anecdotal reports about hogs destroying nests or eating babies, but really didn't have a whole lot of, of firsthand proof. And again, this is back in uh, 2011 um, when smartphones were just starting to be a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, people had phones and had camera phones, but it's not as much as it is nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and not quite, the drones weren't, it was, it was far enough back that people did not do alligator nest searches with drones, which yeah. would be the obvious way we'd do it now. Mm -hmm. People used helicopters back then or just hoofed it. And so that's the way that the state of Louisiana, I, I think that they've moved to drones now, but back then I know that they, they were always using helicopters to go out and look. So, and, and again, I was approached because I had this great sequence of pictures of, of feral hogs getting into a nest. And, and when they approached it, you could just see their ears were at attention. And when those babies are hatching in the alligator nest, which an alligator nest is a, is a very large drug. You, when you see it, it's, obviously uh i mean it's a large mound of vegetation usually rushes or sedges you know kind of like tall grasses they're, they're not technically from grasses but they look like grasses mm -hmm. um and and they'll pile it up into maybe you know five to six foot diameter mound that can be two and a half maybe three feet high i mean large large mound domed um structure that they bury their eggs in 
and and actually the, that it really helps kind of incubate the eggs and keep them nice and warm before they hatch. But when they hatch, one of the signals to their mom to, to say, "Hey, come get me," is they make a, a, an audio an audible sound. It's it's kind of like an and it's it's an unmistakable um, noise that I'm absolutely certain that the hogs in the picture were reacting to because that's exactly what would have been happening with that nest that was the morning that they hatched that we got that sequence of pictures so um i think that that next day we came out they had hatched the nest was obviously disturbed we got the pictures and there was i believe if i'm remembering correct there was 32 babies still alive that we could count so that's not too bad, mm-hmm. but it was obvious that that was of the three nests I got to examine. That was by far the lowest number of of babies that was that we could find the day after hatching. Mm-hmm. So you know it was obvious that it had some sort of impact. How many? Ten, fifteen, twenty? I, I don't know, but um, it was definitely an impact for sure. And that was actually the same nest that then later. I could never, I really wanted to see this mama gator so bad because her nest was really big and I had assumed that she was a really large, impressive female too. So being being a guy who just loves alligators, I really wanted to get out there and see it. And most of the time when you go out to visit a nest, um, the mama alligator will come out and defend the nest. Um, she'll know you're coming before you even know you're on a nest most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do a pretty standard um, um, threat display where the first thing they do is they, you know, they start coming out of the water and they raise their, they kind of take a big breath in and puff themselves up and, and they'll kind of, you kind of hear a growl, a guttural sound, a hissing sound. And they're just kind of saying, Hey buddy, I see you, you see me. If you don't leave immediately, then they move to the, the open mouth kind of threat display and some lunging, which is, there is a really standard and methodical way that alligators go about this nest defense. There is not an alligator in the world that the very first thing it does is just going to lunge out of the water and charge you. Mm-hmm. They do it, it it's, it's sort of like a fixed action pattern. It's something that they go through this sequence every single time. So you know what to expect. But once they open their mouth and, and and kind of they'll do these fake lunges, they'll kind of come at you and just kind of, you know, lunge. They don't intend on actually making their way to you to actually attack you, but they're just increasing the threat and saying, look, buddy, seriously, get away. So at that point is when you usually need to move on because then you don't want – then they will actually charge you and make you leave. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, we, we would go out. One of the nests, every single time you would go out there, that mama gator was there to defend it. But this one, the nest where the hogs got into, could never see that mom. And unfortunately, this goes to show how, in, how individual, how, how alligators are truly individuals with personalities. An alligator is not an alligator, is not an alligator. They're not all the same mm-hmm. thing. They, they are all, you know, truly unique. And in, in my years of dealing with reptiles, I can say, hands down, they come across as one of the most intelligent reptiles out there. You can really see when you make eye contact with them that they are, you know, they are conscious and they're analyzing. The wheels are turning. Um, 
the, the whole time. I've, I've actually, I've never had this uh, experience, but I, I've heard people talk about King Cobras in the mm. same sort of light, that when they raise up and you, and you look at them and it's clear that they are, you know, they're watching you and that they're making, uh, you know, a, a calculated decisions. Mm. So that's kind of what it comes across as with alligators is that they're always making a calculated decision. But unfortunately for this female, if she would have been more aggressive of the nest defender, maybe she would have run off those alligators or those hogs. Mm. I don't know. But it was the same mom that, that let the hogs get there. <laughs> but I decided to set up a game camera after the babies were born on that nest because I really, really wanted to see pictures of those moms. So I figured that would be the best way to do it. So after having walked through all the lotus, which at this point in time, I don't know if you've ever um, been around the, the American lotus, lotus lily pads late in the summer when the water level drops, they actually stick out of the water. Mm-hmm. Like the leaves will be you know, a foot or so up out of the water. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they're quite, they're difficult to get through, and they're actually spiky on the stem. So I was out there in my waders with a 10-foot PVC poking around in this <laughs> wetland. I figured if I could touch her tail, if I could just just get a, a bit of her, that she would react and I could see her. I just really wanted to see her and get some pictures. I just love, I love alligators, and I just really wanted to see this mama. Mm-hmm. So could never see her with my own two eyes still to this day never have mm-hmm. so um i set up my game camera and left and the way i got out to this uh, it was an island in this um well, they, we call them the lake units but they're a little bit deeper deeper water than than the surrounding wetlands mm-hmm. but i would usually just um throw my stuff in a canoe and just kind of push it through that lotus stuff and it was really most of the time you're not actually paddling you're pushing your paddle onto the mud down under the water and Mm. sliding across so um you know that next day i actually brought my laptop with me out into the field and got across to the little island and pulled the memory card out of the camera and it it was so bright because this is like september out there it's still really like 95 degrees about like it is now just Mm -hmm. still brutal summer and uh, it's hard to see the the electronic screen so i kind of have to use a towel and and, and put it over the screen and put it over my head and I stick that memory card in and I start looking through the pictures and then I see this amazing just one in a million chance I got these pictures of a great blue heron that was trying to eat the gator babies and he would be stalking in that shallow water and then this I got the a perfect picture of this mama gator lunging she must have been two and a half three feet out of the water, mouth fully open, and you see the, the, the feet of the great blue heron flying away. She didn't get him. She was, <laughs> I mean, she was a, maybe a foot or two away. Mm. And he would go, and then you would see her kind of, she had done her lunge, and then she would sit there, and she would back up and disappear into the, into the water. Then there'd be another sequence. You'd see that same, I assume the same, great blue heron come back. Although I only got one really perfect, perfect shot of her out of the water, but you could see going other ang- angles, you know, they weren't perfectly squared in the image, but you could see her lunging at him multiple times. Hmm. He kept coming back. All I can assume is that that great blue heron has been to Louisiana before. <laughs> he knows out. Al- he knew. He knew alligators for yeah. sure. This wasn't his first rodeo with the, with an alligator. He knew what he was doing. So um, yeah, I got to also share those pictures um, at the that uh, meeting in Lake Charles with the crocodile specialist group. 
it was it was pretty cool to have multiple people come up to me after the meeting and say, "Hey, uh, I'll give you photo credit. Let me see those. I, I want to present." Hello. Talk about the uh, oh, the hogs that were even. Oh, you, can you cut out, Yeah, you cut out for oh, just sorry. a second. You said people were yeah. asking for the photos. Okay. Yeah, asking for the photos and and wanting to know about the hogs uh, uh, attacking the nest and stuff and getting to the babies. And yeah, it was it was really, you know, it. Unfortunately, I can't take too much credit since I wasn't there to actually t- take the picture. But you know, it's still game cameras are an excellent tool. I. So, suggest to people all over if you are serious about management um terrestrial management um you know game cameras are cheap now and they are in fact i've seen some amazing presentations where people have set out um literal camera array grids on properties to um study things like mountain lion ranges and things like that they're Mm -hmm. they're a really excellent tool for those hard to see um animals Mm -hmm. um so uh that's always a can't be understated how important they are but the 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 research went great um really we as i mentioned we really came to the conclusion that in oklahoma at least i i I really think it's a habitat i don't think it's a winter thing Mm -hmm. um although we did this last winter have sort of a one in a hundred year freeze that that broke everybody's pipes yeah i wrote that Um, down here i was going to ask about how this crazy freeze we had this uh winter affected them so my my guess is that the uh the adults the bigger ones were fine. Um I think it probably hit the babies the worst. Um we, it, oddly enough uh so when I was down there at Red Slough um the guy that worked for the US Forest Service Robert Bastrack was my connection but then there's this other guy which anybody who's been down to Red Slough for any length of time or has visited a lot knows David Arbor. And he is he's he is a unique individual. He's a great guy. He's a birder. I think a lot of birders are sort of birders are their own breed of people. <laughs> but anyways, this guy he he takes excellent photographs, and he has been published many times with his wildlife photographs. And I saw a picture of him published this winter of him showing that exact same nose. Uh, water or ice freezing around the no- nostril behavior mm-hmm. that was published this year um, about red slough and he was taking pictures the picture he had was a very large probably one of the it's hard to see from just the tip of the south but if i was guessing a, a seven to eight footer mm-hmm. um, with you know a heavy sheet of ice frozen around with the tip of the nose out mm. so i would assume that that those most of the largest gators out there that were big enough to conserve enough core heat deep deep down in there um survived probably fine but it wouldn't uh it wouldn't shock me if they had uh, um, a significant loss of that that year's babies maybe not even a two or three year old but that year's babies the ones that were born a few months prior if somebody said hey we went out and we couldn't detect any of the babies from that year, it wouldn't shock me. Although I say that it actually might shock me. And here's why, because the gators down there will use uh, old beaver dens hmm. and there are enough holes and dikes and stuff like that. The, the, the one mama gator that was, a uh, that was just like clockwork. If you went out there, she would come defend it. 
she was the one who'd been nesting out there year after year after year. We called her Good Mama because she was just a really good mama. I mean, if you no, but nothing messed with that nest without her coming out there. And she was actually really small, maybe six and a half, seven feet, um, maybe a hundred and ten pounds. I, you know, not. I mean, I was certainly bigger than she was, mm-hmm. but um, you know, you don't want to. It would ruin your weekend if she got a hold of your arm. She. you'd have to go get stitches and she might even be able to break it real fast. But, uh, you know, you don't want to mess with the gators are incredibly powerful. Those fast twitch muscles, man, they can just explode with power. But there, there is uh, a lot of, you know, kind of denning and burrowing that can happen during, during the winter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if it gets down to five, 10 degrees air temperature outside, you know, presumably deep down in, in one of those um, one of those burrows, you know, it might still be above freezing still so or close to freezing. Mm-hmm. And uh, even then, you know, the alligators can deal with freezing. Yeah. But it wouldn't I I would say that I, I absolutely expect that there would have been some impact from a winter as bad as it was this last this last one for sure. Yeah. A non zero impact. Um, but I still think, I mean, they are incredibly tough. If, if anything, my research really, um, you know, reinforced the idea that the alligators are really tough as nails, man. They've been around on this planet almost unchanged for, you know, since the Cretaceous for a reason, you know, because they have got a, a plan, a body plan and, and a lifestyle that just works. When you can hide a predator as large as they are, and a bit of water that's as shallow and murky and easy to hide stuff in, and they can just sit there. They are the most patient animals. You are not as patient as an alligator. They can just sit there for hours and hours and hours just waiting for the, for the right opportunity to come along. So they're really just uh, a, a really awesome, truly by the definition of the word, an awesome predator. Um, and and I really... Um, I got very lucky getting to work as intimately as I did with them. got some pictures of us even. You can catch a, a, a four or five footer pretty easily. They're, they're, and, he, and it is true that if you can hold their mouth shut, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I just disclaimer, I'm not advocating. Uh, I was just about to say, you're going to give go a out, lot of people don't ideas. Go grab, <laughs> don't go out and grab alligators. But uh-huh. <laughs> they are, you know, it's, they, I don't want to be able to be afraid of them either. You right. know, they're not, um, they're not mindless killers. You know, if anything, they are very calculated. In, and, and believe me, if five people think five-foot alligator, that sounds really big. Mm-hmm. 45 pounds, 50 mm-hmm. pounds. I mean, they're, yeah. you know. And a, a, lot of that, dog. a lot of that is in the tail. Tail. You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's near 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. So, it, and, and the way that we would, um, that, when we would do our spotlight surveys, um, there is uh, a way you can estimate a gal- an alligator's total length just based on if you can see the head. Mm-hmm. And essentially, they have a near 1 to 12 ratio between the nostril and the eye, i.e. where one inch is roughly equal to one foot, to where <laughs> if you've got six inches from the middle of the eye to the little, um, to the to the tip of the snout, to the crest of the snout, actually, you're where the nostrils are that's about a six foot alligator Hmm. and so on and so forth so if you have an alligator that's got you know uh, a significant you know a a foot long stretch there you know it's 
it's a significant size a significant size alligator. I think the biggest one we had on the slough, which we nicknamed T-Rex was about 11 feet. And, um, and he was, he was a big boy. He had been there since. So the story was red slough. Well, this isn't this is a true story. Red slough was a rice farm. At one day, it was from what I have been told, the, only attempted or ever even successful rice farm in Oklahoma history. Hmm. That's a type of farming that we just don't do here. Mm -hmm. And so um, what Red Slough essentially some of the deeper quote-unquote wetland or the the lake units are, were essentially reservoirs for flooding rice fields. And so a lot of the other um, uh, wetland units are old rice fields. And so you've got this series of levees and dikes around there for moving water around. Um, and so, uh, uh, supposedly, uh, in 1995, when the state acquired the land, the, the, the rice farm, rice farming wasn't going great in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I guess the guy decided to get out of the business. I think the original farm he sold was uh, around 3000 acres. It's since grown to a, it's about a 7,000 acre wetland complex now, but that original farm that they bought was something around 3,000 acres. And supposedly back in the 90s, 95, somebody brought, and I don't know who or why or how, but somebody brought some alligators from Houston, supposedly some small ones out there in, the, in about 95. Hmm. And presumably there weren't there were very few alligators out there before then. If there were, there, there is always, the Red River runs completely uh, undammed from the bottom of Texoma, where, where Texoma is dammed up, dammed up. That's the last dam on the Red River until it goes hmm. to, until it hits the Mississippi. So once you leave, once the, that Oklahoma, the Red River leaves the Oklahoma-Texas border, it kind of follows along uh, between uh, Texas and Arkansas there for a little bit. And then it goes, dips down into north, northwestern Louisiana, goes through Shreveport, Bossier City, um, goes, uh, continues southeast through um, Louisiana, past Alexandria, and then eventually kind of down uh, over just north of Baton Rouge, I believe, is where the Red River hits the Mississippi. So you have this really long, you know, alligators can just go straight up the Red River anytime mm-hmm. they want until they hit. Texoma. So you're always going to have some wild influx of alligators, but it's believed that, you know, these ones from 95 were sort of some of the seed population. And Mm -hmm. I've always suspected that T-Rex was, you know, one of the gators that had been down there as maybe a three or four footer in 95 that was brought up there. Mm -hmm. And also um, red slough has sort of become over the years, um, probably a dumping ground of sorts for people who get sick and tired of trying to take care of a pet alligator. Mm. Now I know that it does, it does happen. I've actually been called about a place in Oklahoma city that had a a three foot alligator dumped in a, it was actually a business, a pond (laughs) at a business. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not unheard of that people, you know, do get their hands on baby gators to try and raise as a pet, which is a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, it always ends up the same way that they realize they can't take care of this animal. Mm-hmm. And so people have, you know, uh, have taken alligators down and dumped them at Red Slough. 
I even think that from time to time, game wardens have taken confiscated alligators mm. down there. Um, because if, you know, if an alligator is going to make it in the state of Oklahoma, it's going to make it at Red Slough. Right. And it's a place that, honestly, people, it, there's not a better alligator habitat in the state. And I think that they are a really good benefit to um, the actual health of the ecosystem down there because uh, you get uh, the, the, a lot of these ponds and lakes um, in Oklahoma are eaten up with, you know, stuff like carp. Carp are a huge problem, invasive carp. And, you know, uh, the, those uh, uh, alligators will eat carp all day long. Um, and they're not going to be going. I know that bass fishermen might think, well, are they going to be eating my five-pound bass? A five-pound bass is not generally going to be on the menu for an alligator. They're way too hard to catch. Mm. They're going to sit, like I said, they're so patient. They'll just sit at the bottom and wait for, you know, a turtle or a carp or something to swim through their open mouth. Um, in general, they're, they're also sort of kind of like vultures in that they'll um, eat carrion, eat dead animals a lot. If an animal dies close to the edge of the water, it's on the menu for an alligator. And this is uh, sometimes where I think there is, there is a, a myth that alligators are out there eating everybody's cows. If there's alligators, you can't have cows around. And honestly, if a cow dies for whatever reason, and it's close enough to the water, an alligator is going to come out and start chomping on it. Mm-hmm. And if a rancher comes up and sees an alligator chomping on a, on a cow that's already dead, well, it's easy to just think, well, the alligator killed the mm. cow. Yeah. That's not always the case. I'm sure that calves get too close to water. They definitely can be um, preyed upon. But um, I think in, in general, uh, alligators are not, um, don't have a, a big impact on, you know, domestic livestock or anything yeah. like that. Um, they, they are pretty, for most of their lives, they are almost exclusively fish and reptile eaters. Um, it's only when they get to be that 10-foot-plus range that, you know, things like feral hogs, small deer, maybe um, a small cow might even come on the menu. And and by that time, you know, you're talking about, you know, a tenth or a hundredth of a percent of the actual alligators that are born that ever make it to that size. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Well, I got to, we're going to be coming up on time here before too long. I don't want to keep you all night. But uh, I did have one question about uh not population but just dispersal i guess you know you mentioned a few counties and leading all the way up to you know texoma and that makes sense and um you know i've seen one along that corridor before uh but my question is just kind of like how far do you think they could spread in oklahoma like you know the closest big popular lake to red slough is broken bow lake i don't really see that as a gator lake because it's you know in the mountains of the rocky yeah um, and now there are, there have been confirmed sightings there too. Really? So that is, I've always, yes, there, there has been. Now, again, you're right that Broken Bow is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, again, an alligator that ends up there may have been dumped there. Mm. But um, even if they do end up there, that is a deep water, cold lake mm-hmm. up in the mountains. It's just not, not ideal. Now, there are some cypress-type swamps that are sort of adjacent around there and oxbow type, um, you know, uh, habitats around there. And those are excellent. Now, um, down around Idabel, you've got the little river. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it is 
awesome alligator habitat. Hmm. Uh, the Little River, uh, I think it's the National Wildlife Refuge hmm. um, there that's just uh, north northeast of Idabel um, is excellent alligator habitat. And, and personally, I've never heard of a sighting in Eufaula. That's That was my or next question. The, you know, could they make yeah. it that far north? Could they survive that far north? Um, my, I have a hunch that I honestly think that they could. Hmm. Now, and I, and I honestly think that should, um, should, you know, climate change or should um, our, our summers tend to get warmer and war- warmer for whatever reason that may be, I think that you are potentially um, even increasing the chances that alligators could, if they got up there, could become established. Now, and that's something that I, if I know a lot of the people in the state that, you know, are, are looking at alligators and, and they talk and trust me, if there was credible sightings in Ufala, I am positive I would have heard about it. Yeah. And, and I have always, there are so many parts of that lake that when I'm out there, I think this would be great habitat. I don't know why, uh, why they're not here mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, potentially the Arkansas River, you know, the corridor and, and, and it could have potentially been a historic population of them um, back, you know, pre-1800s or in the 1800s. But it's my knowledge, other than maybe, I know that there was a, a golf course pond in Tulsa that had an alligator removed, not, I mean, maybe a decade or two ago. There are always sort of going to be the random you know, guy in Okmulgee or Muskogee or wherever that had one in a pond somewhere that had, you know, been feeding or, or whatever. It's not impossible to keep them alive outdoors that far north. But um, as far as I know, you know, there's never been, I would really say that even an alligator sighting doesn't mean much unless there's also potential nesting habitat. Mm. And I think that there is some good potential nesting habitat around Eufaula, but I've never heard of uh, anybody discovering nests there. Now, around Texoma, the north, the Washita arm of Texoma, there's um, an old, so the Washita River is the north arm of Texoma, and there's what's called the Old River Channel, which uh, Highway 199, just east of Little City, crosses it. And it is, it's called the Old River Channel because that was truly where the original Washita River used to be before the uh, Army Corps created the the dikes that are around there to actually create the the Cumberland Cut, as they call it, which is what, how it was diverted. The water was diverted to the Cumberland Cut and the Old River Channel was essentially cut off. And it's only a few mile long stretch, maybe um, five miles or so. Uh, four miles long, and uh, this old river channel is awesome alligator habitat, and there's not much of it. And it was kind of, and and I feel, and I and I'm feel fine telling people about this now because it actually the whole habitat got destroyed in a flood um, uh, years ago when one one of these levees broke, and the whole old river channel just got absolutely destroyed. Mm. But before then. It was really excellent how alligator habitat, and you could go out there and and do do a spotlight survey. Uh, me and my professor went out. Uh, 
Jared, I'm losing you again. I, you know, when those spotlights... Oh, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, start over at the Spotlight Survey. Yeah, so uh, we got permission to go do a Spotlight Survey there at the Old River Channel um, and went out and saw four in one night. So if you, you know if you see four, you're only seeing, you know, a, a percentage of them. But um, there's definitely some... There was some excellent nesting habitat, a great, you know, bottomland, hardwood, old growth forest there on this old river channel that was just magical. But then again, when they had that massive flood, it killed all the trees, all the riparian got destroyed. Uh, it just, it looks like a bomb went off now. I mean, it's just all, you know, hundreds of acres of dead trees and just terrible, but um, when it was actually going good, man, it was a really beautiful spot there at the Old River Channel on that arm. But there is a Catfish Bay, I've heard, uh, sightings of, of alligators. And there's even this, um, oh, what? there's a, a, a railroad bridge that's on the east side of the lake. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember what it's called. But there's also a fish cleaning station that's not too far from there. And uh, kind of over by Platter Flats, I believe. I think that's what it's called. But, yeah, there was uh, some very credible – some of the Army Corps guys went out there and saw alligators too. So mm-hmm. there is – I would tell people, in my best estimation, in the wild in Oklahoma, I would say there's anywhere between five and 800 alligators in the wild doing their thing at any given time. Now, there's some transient ones, and that number, obviously, if you're talking right after they're born, that number spikes, but then obviously most of them get picked off. But if I was if I was a guessing man, that's kind of about the, the number I think I would put it at, but that's not really a sustained, that's not much of a viable population for the whole state, because you're talking about that spread out over, you know, five or six counties, and it, it's just, it's not... Um, you know, it's certainly not at a level that I would advocate for any kind of a hunting season yet, mm-hmm. but I would love to see a day when Oklahoma has enough alligators to have a small hunting season. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that would be great. And, and I'm, you know, I'm pro alligator and mm-hmm. I'm saying that, and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't advocate just going out and killing gators, but I think if we get the population to a point that it could be sustained, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think I think it only brings it can only serve to hopefully bring some positive press to them and, and teach people that you know they are an important part of the ecosystem and that you know and not all predators are bad and that they can be kind of cool mm-hmm. and and you know and and just like any wildlife I think that if you play your cards right you can you know sort of have your cake and eat it too you can have a little harvest but you can also do some uh, uh, some conservation mm-hmm. and make sure that you know they they uh, stay stay reproductively active and successful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, put a little value on them. And uh Exactly. <laughs> I uh I know some locals in the Broken Bow area and it would not surprise me if they were the ones putting the gators in the lake trying to scare the tourists away. So, <laughs> so that's probably how they're getting in Broken Bow. <laughs> they got all these Texas people coming up there now, so it's pretty much all like that's, you mm-hmm. know, northeast dallas at this point yep so pretty yep. much yeah i uh i know an old man up there that could tell you all about it so <laughs> but it's yeah. i mean Ho- hochatown is really fun i love mm-hmm. i mean it's oh yeah beautiful mm-hmm. awesome place I, beaver's bend is is awesome it's just mm-hmm. a really cool 
it's it's definitely one of the gems in, in for Oklahoma, in my opinion. I think it's a, an excellent, beautiful part of the state that just it looks nothing like anything else in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. We we got a cabin up there this summer. I'd encourage anybody to. Yeah, it's a great place. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and there's like some local breweries. There's mm-hmm. always like live music around there. It is it is a lot of fun. Go do a mountain fort fork float or something mm-hmm. and it, it, it is a lot it is a lot of fun mm-hmm. in fact it's over just there uh in eagle town just off the mountain fork river that there's there's a lot of kind of oxbows and sloughs and some a lot of alligator sightings around there too well a pretty big one about an eight footer was hit um in the eagle town or outside of eagle town um during the years that i was doing my research down there was hit mm-hmm. hit on hit on the road so mm-hmm. I mean that that definitely does happen. Shoot, there was one hit on the road in southeastern Johnston County. This is well known. I don't know how many of the uh, Department of Wildlife people talk about <laughs> this stuff all that much, but um, on Highway 22, there's um, he goes around uh, by the Tishomingo National Wildlife Refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really large alligator that was hit on 22 years ago. Mm. Um, like close to 10 foot it was a big one hmm. and you know it's kind of one of those things that you know it, it happens and then people that when nobody wants to get scared mm-hmm. i think it was that they call it nida point where uh that mm-hmm. was hit there but um yeah they they don't want to scare anybody for some reason you say you whisper alligator and people just get terrified oh yeah and so you know and because of tourists they just don't want to they think oh god everybody's going to run away if if they think there's alligators here but it's not like people don't swim in lakes in louisiana mm-hmm. or florida mm-hmm. i mean i was i've been to florida twice this year trust me people swim in lakes <laughs> over there it's not like just because there's alligators that exist that everything's off limits yeah. trust me they don't want a lot of like the swimming beaches if you're at Texoma at the beach hanging out they don't that beach habitat isn't good alligator habitat they mm-hmm. don't want to be around there yeah so you're you're perfectly fine don't think that because there's alligators in lake texoma that if you're at the beach you're at risk at all of even seeing one let alone getting bit they're not going to be there they don't want to be around there yeah. so trust me. yeah that's a great way to close it don't be scared of alligators i like it <laughs> don't be scared frogs with teeth big big frogs with teeth <laughs> that's right think about it like that uh-huh well, Jared, this has been extremely informative, and I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. No problem. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, um, hey, hey, get out there, have fun in Oklahoma, and don't be afraid of alligators. That. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you for coming on. To quote the great and wise Larry the Cable Guy, if you don't like that, you can just get out of here. <laughs> That was awesome. Really enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. Uh, That's one that I'm definitely going to have to go back to and listen to a couple times because so much information in there, so much cool stuff. Uh, You know, watch your step. I'm just saying, if you uh, run along the Red River like I do, watch your step. But uh, I don't know. I also feel safer after listening to that and hearing him describe it. And, you know, even a a six foot, you know, decent sized alligator probably weighs less than you do. And uh, then like we said, it's all tail anyway. So, so yeah, nothing to be afraid of. Get out there and enjoy yourself anyway. And, uh, and look out for some alligators, man. Help them out if you can, you know, obviously don't just go around shooting them just because, uh, you know, uh, do your part to help protect them because it would be really cool. Uh, you know, if we could get a population up and get some legal hunting, that would just be awesome. And it'd bring in a lot of money for our state and just, you know, get even more notoriety out there than we already have. So 
I hope you guys enjoyed that. I really do. Um, after this, we're going to get back to a little more whitetail content and some duck content and just all things fall. So hope you guys are ready for that. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Please take care. Please be safe out there. Wear your safety harness. Uh, shoot your bow. Shoot your gun. Shoot your muzzleloader. Whatever it is, be proficient. And until next time, I will see you guys later. Later.